When I was a kid, I would watch reruns of a show on PBS called Powerhouse. It was a live-action TV show about a diverse group of kids from the ages of 12 to 17 that work together to solve mysteries. They all get together because they all went to the same gym. The types of mysteries that these teenagers solved involved diamond thieves, international kidnappings, anti-Semitic attacks, a fatal virus, and the gym youth center being bombed. And this show only ran for one season and had about 16 episodes. Due to this show and other similar shows, I was convinced that it was normal to have a group of tangentially related kids in high school that hung out and solved crimes, and that these types of crimes would come up in real life regularly. This is bittersweet ramblings, and my crime-solving abilities were not put to use in a teen crime-solving gang, and I'm still a little bitter. Our House ran on PBS and had a very early 80s aesthetic. It really is a time capsule from that time. The late 70s styles were still hanging on, and the full transition to the 80s style had not quite happened yet. The main vehicle they even used in this for the mystery solving was an old VW van. The show definitely took its cues from the old 70s style detective shows, with the group of kids acting as the detectives. It was very dynamic. There were a lot of action shots. Every episode was going to have a chase in some form or fashion. Usually the older boys on the mystery solving team would need to run the bad guys down or, you know, there'd be a big chase in the van. The entire show looked like it was filmed on old video cameras, but that was sort of part of the charm. It, was, it, it made it look more realistic. The sound, though, that was brutal at the time, and it is still brutal now if you pull it up on YouTube. I remember having to change the volume on the television whenever it came on, but everyone on the show still looks like they're having a ton of fun, which counts for a lot. Now, the mystery-solving group was made up of several 12 to 17-year-old kids and one adult. The kids really don't have any connection to each other outside of the gym that they all go to, and the gym is run by the only adult member of the group. They were all from completely different backgrounds, so that the show could hit every single demographic possible. It was a group of kids that realistically would not ever come voluntarily together without being in the same family or having parents who are close friends. Because in real life, there's too much of a power disparity between a 17-year-old kids and the 12 to 13-year-old kids, unless they are babysitting, uh, or they were those sort of creepy kids who hung out with younger kids because they freaked out the kids from their own age group. You know, the type of kids who really thrive on that unequal power dynamic. There was that one adult in the group of kids the adult in the room inherited a gym from her deceased father. She decided to turn it into a gym for kids and then spent a significant amount of time hanging out with the kids in the gym. Although before she could turn it into a gym for kids, she had to revamp it and get rid of the drug cartel that was using it for their drug dealing. Then she had to prove that she wasn't dealing or using drugs 
that were planted on her by the drug cartel that she evicted, which she was able to do with the help of the powerhouse sleuthing gang. When I was younger, this show and similar shows had somehow convinced me that I was going to be on a teen sleuthing team with kids from different age groups and different backgrounds. There were a few significant barriers to this. Barrier one, I lived in a small village in the rural Midwest, not a place known for its diversity. Barrier two, Far too many of the people I knew in high school were way too flighty to be depended on to help you out if you were trapped in a fallout shelter, an old refrigerator, or locked in a metal luggage chest. Barrier three, there was the issue of having a significant lack of mysteries to be solved. Therefore, no teen-styled mystery-solving team for me. One thing that stuck out to me about the show was how quickly the storylines moved. The mysteries themselves were solved in no time, and they had to be, because they had to allot time for the chase or the fight scene. There was always time to get together at the end of the episode and reminisce about, you know, how quickly they solved the crime. And then there were the uncommercials. Because it ran on PBS, there were no commercial breaks during the episodes. So during the show, they had fake commercials that they called uncommercials. The commercials or the uncommercials were a bunch of inspirational messages about being yourself or being good to others or eating well or exercising. Someone really liked the idea of the uncommercials because it took up a solid portion of the show. They took up probably one-third of the runtime of each show. I remember thinking they were okay for the first episode or two, and then there were so many of them that it got really old really fast. Plus, it took away time from the mysteries that were being solved. I tuned in for the mystery solving not for the quirky uncommercials. And the cases were pretty out there for a teen show on PBS. Here's a brief overview of just a few of their cases. They were asked to foil a museum's new security system because a security card wanted her job back. And what adult wouldn't go to a group of teens and ask them to break into a museum foil the new security system and steal stuff so that they could get their job back. And then, when they did it, the museum was shamed into hiring back the security guard, as opposed to throwing the kids and their adult leader into jail immediately along with the security guard conspiring to commit theft. In another episode, they traced Patient Zero in a deadly outbreak because no one can solve an outbreak like random teenagers. Not the health department, not the CDC, not even the county officials would have the type of outbreak tracers that these kids would have. Just need to call in the teenagers from a local gym to solve everything. They also stopped some diamond thieves who were posing as nursing home workers to abuse an elderly resident in a nursing home to try to find out where he had hidden diamonds. The diamonds were, coincidentally, hidden in the powerhouse gym. 
why would you call the police when you can send in 17 to 18 year olds to beat up the thieves? No, sending in children to stop potentially armed thieves makes much more sense than just waiting for the authorities. There were also kidnappings. Multiple kidnappings. There were so many kidnappings. There were about 16 episodes and at least three kidnappings that I can remember, and I'm pretty sure there were more. Including one woman who kidnapped her own baby, but it really wasn't a kidnapping because someone else was trying to cheat the law to kidnap her baby from her. Don't worry, the teenagers managed to figure it out. No lawyers, no detectives, just a group of kids from a gym. At the time, it made sense. But I was in grade school, so there were a lot of things that made sense to me because I saw them on TV. It was not until I got older that the cracks started to show through. I genuinely believe that the show was trying to encourage independence and understanding. However, I came away from the show genuinely worried about being kidnapped. Even though I lived in the middle of nowhere, and anytime kids were around, there were eyes watching out of every single window. It was the Village Neighborhood Watch, which was mainly old people watching to make sure that we weren't on their lawn or messing with their flowers. But they were watching. The show's two-episode finale was what really messed with me. On the show, I liked the boy with the dark curly hair and glasses. Because he looked close to my age, and at that time... I was under the delusion that dark-haired guys with glasses were thoughtful and kind. It didn't take long to cure me of that quickly. Thank you, 4-H Camp from Hell. The two-part finale started with some bad guys from earlier in the series who were caught by the teenagers. So, this bad guy, who was a white supremacist gang member, set off a pipe bomb in a gym basement for kids to get even with them. A space specifically set up for children. As a reminder, this was on a TV show which ran on PBS. Now in the final episode, they were having a funeral for the boy in the dark hair and the glasses, who it turns out was in the basement of the gym at the time that the bomb went off. There was a newspaper obituary for him. All of his friends and families attended the funeral to mourn the loss of this child. There were flowers, there was a funeral service, there was sobbing in the room. There were eulogies, and during the eulogies they actually went over several of the cases that the Power Gang had solved with montages. Then, everyone left the mourning room except for the guy who had bombed the building who then proceeded to lean over the dead body of the kid he had killed and to confess to the dead body of the kid. When he was done confessing, the kid in the coffin holds up a tape recorder that was recording and hits stop. Apparently the kid wasn't really dead. The kid was in the basement by the bomb when it went off, but was saved by standing next to a boiler? To find out who done it, the group of teens called pay for and create a fake funeral, including having a fake obituary printed in the paper. They did this with the expectation that the bomber would show up at the funeral 
and confessed to the dead body of the child he thought he killed. Either everyone was in on the fake funeral, or they just let their kids' relatives and friends think for days that their friend or their cousin or their grandkid had been killed by a bomb. People are not good at keeping secrets at funerals. Funerals are the place where secrets come out. So, if someone was faking being dead, someone would be whisper-shouting at grandma that her grandkid wasn't really dead and they were just trying to figure out who done it to try to keep her calm. In the show, the police went along with their plan, as detectives would, because having a child play dead and having a fake funeral to generate a confession from a killer sounds like a plan that would totally work. I will say though, in the 80s, on TV, there were more than a few fake funerals to try to trick a bad guy into making confessions. <laughs> especially, especially if a main character was killed and there was a gigantic funeral. Then of course, you know, the criminals would come to make sure that the hero was dead and then confess to the murder while left alone with the body and the hero would pop out of the coffin completely alive! In addition to being afraid of the kidnappings, this show added uh, the fear that I was going to worry about pipe bombs going off in a basement. Uh, and then, you know, these, this was in addition to worries about quicksand, the Bermuda Triangle, falling in a large hole covered with leaves, and drug dealers running me down to shove drugs down my throat to force me to become a drug addict. Because messaging in the 80s for kids was super clear. This has been Bittersweet Rambling. I have a bit of a sinus infection, so sorry if I sounded a bit off. But thank you for listening, and have a good night.